0: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, November the 22nd, 2019, in the year of our Lord. Today on November 22nd, 1963, John F. Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States, was assassinated while riding in a motorcade in Dallas. Texas Governor John B. Conley, you may remember, he was in the same car with Kennedy, was seriously wounded, a suspect, Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested, and Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson was sworn in as president. Often in our lives, everything changes in a moment. This certainly changed the collective life in America. Most of us can remember where we were. I was a pretty young man back then, but I remember exactly where I was. I was on, I think it's 4th Avenue or something in Yakima, Washington, where I was born. I was at an ARCO station getting some gas. And the guy working in there came out and he said, he said, man, he said, they're saying the president got shot on the radio. And I said, the president of what? And he said, the president of the United States. I said, man, are you sure? He said, yeah, I'm pretty sure. He said, I think that's what they said. Yeah, we can all remember where we were in those days when those kinds of things happened, much like 9-11. Today, in 1935, a flying boat, the China Clipper it took off from Alameda, California, was carrying more than 100,000 pieces of mail on the first Trans-Pacific airmail flight. Today, in 1943, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and Chinese leader Chiang Kai-shek, they met in Cairo, to discuss measures for defeating Japan. Today in 1977, regular passage service between New York and Europe on the supersonic Concorde began on a trial basis. That Concorde never really worked out. I mean, it just, I don't know why, but it, I never flew on one, but I, I saw one landing. Marjorie and I were flying into San Francisco one time, and the pilot said, look out the left side of the aircraft or whatever, and he said, you'll see a, a supersonic Concorde. It's, it's landing, you know, in tandem with the plane we were on, which was whatever. And so I kind of got a glimpse of it, landing. It was, it was an unusual-looking plane, as you may recall, but somehow it never really caught on. Anyway, today in 1977, regular passage service, uh, passenger service between New York and Europe. Today in 1990, British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, she had failed to win re-election of the Conservative Party leadership on the first ballot, she said, I think that's an indication to me that I should should call it quits. She resigned. Today in 2004, tens of thousands of demonstrators jammed downtown Kiev, denouncing Ukraine's presidential runoff election as fraudulent, chanting the name of their reformist candidate, Viktor Yushchenko, who ended up winning a re the following month. And today in 2005, Angela Merkel, she took power as Germany's first female chancellor. And remember Ted Koppel? (laughs) Yeah, he hosted his final edition of ABC News Nightline today in 2005. Speaking of the Ukraine, Senator Lindsey Graham said last night that he has requested, formally requested, State Department documents related to former Vice President Joe Biden's communications with the former Ukrainian president, uh, Petro Proshenko. Graham sent a letter to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo requesting the documents to assist, he said, in answering questions, and I'm I'm quoting from his letter, regarding allegations that Joe Biden was involved in the termination of Ukrainian prosecutor General Viktor Shokin in order to end an investigation into natural gas company Burisma Holdings where his son, Hunter Biden, served on the board. The senator requested all documents, as uh, UPI, United Press International, is reporting this morning, that the senator, Graham, has requested all documents and communications related to Joe Biden's phone calls with Proshenko on February 11, 18, and 19, and March 22 of 2016. And he is citing media reports that discussed previous demands to dismiss Shokin for alleged corruption before he was removed from office on March 29, 2016. Graham also requested documents and communications between Joe Biden and his office and Prashinko and his office between February 2, 2016, when Burisma founder uh, makola I don't know how to pronounce his last name, his home was raided and Shokin's was dismissed. That, way, or that was before his dismissal. Finally, and lastly, Graham is seeking all documents and communications related to a meeting between Devin Archer, a business partner of Hunter Biden, and then Secretary of State John Kerry on March 2nd, 2016. You will recall that John Kerry's stepson was also involved with Hunter Biden in some uh, kind of sketchy business deals from everything I've ever read about it. Graham's request, UPI says, comes after two weeks of public testimony on the impeachment inquiry, inquiry into President Trump, which centers around a whistleblower's complaint that Trump withheld military aid from Ukraine in an attempt to pressure newly elected Ukrainian President uh, Zelensky to investigate Burisma and the Bidens. Now, <laughs> I think they said they finished the inquiry. I, I doubt that they have, unless they are beginning to see the futility of what they're doing. I know the press is spinning this in a very different way. I understand that. So you turn on the news, you know, in the mornings or five o'clock, six, six o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven, whatever you listen. It, hopefully not. You don't listen too much of that, but the news is spinning this. everything I I mentioned yesterday, everything is kind of wrapped up in the word bombshell, This bomb. I mean, okay, I feel blown up sometimes when I watch the news for a little while. But there isn't anything there, really. And I'm not saying this as a partisan. I'm not in politics. I'm an ordained minister, a pastor my lifetime, throughout my lifetime, my adult lifetime. But I will tell you, there's nothing really there, if you look at it even halfway objectively, of course, the conservatives, of course, the evangelicals, tens of millions of us who voted for Trump don't want him to be kicked out of office. I mean, I know Vice President Pence is standing in the wings. He's vice president. We get that. That's a good thing. But we don't want that to happen. Trump has been very favorable and very um, honest with the evangelical community. He told us going in what he would do if elected. And he's done or attempted to do everything he promised on his list and more on behalf of religious freedom, on behalf of helping Christians live out our faith in our culture, a culture that was created and founded by other Christians who were fleeing persecution in their own country. and They came to the new world to create America, the new world, what we know as the United States of America. So, of course we don't want him kicked out, do we? I don't think most evangelicals do. But here's what's happening. All of this, much to do about nothing. Every day the ratings have gone down. I mean, it, it, they've gone down to practically nothing, relatively speaking, to what what this should draw as far as viewers. And so they've ended the thing. There has been no revelation in this other than people... Uh, kind of enjoying their moment in the sun, their moment on stage, their moment, you know, with the floodlights on and so on. But here, here's the real deal. And I'll be talking more about this in the next couple of weeks when this actually happens. But the Internal Justice Department investigation, it's Horowitz, is the guy, they keep referring to it as the IG, that's the That's the investigation. It's internal and it's bipartisan. And most people, I mean, I'm not close to it, obviously, but I pay a lot of attention. But most of the people that I have a great deal of trust in that are speaking publicly, and they are close to it, are saying, this guy's going to lay it out. He's not partisan, and he's just going to lay it out. Whatever it is, it is. And that's what he will have found. It won't be a lot of his opinion. It will simply be facts. And that's what the Democrats are running from and the progressives, all of them they're running from this because they know that there's stuff going on in the background the deep state is real and they're trying the deep state essentially is trying to remove Donald Trump and reverse the 2016 election and they just can't let it go that's what we're experiencing here in America today so this this report is the is the report that is going to if there is a bombshell as they say this will be it and we now know that it's going to be released to the public, at least in part, on December 9. That's not that far away. Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, and his committee that he heads up in the Senate has already booked Horowitz, who is leading this investigation, internal investigation, to speak to the committee in a Senate hearing on December the 11th, two days after this is released to the public. And Lindsey Graham has already said it will be released. He said this is locked down and committed to. So he said it won't be put off or rescheduled or whatever. So the, the left knows that they haven't presented anything to America that would cause them to vote for them other than just ideology and hatred of Trump. And so all of this is coming coming down to a conclusion. And so it's going to be very important that we are informed and we pay attention to what's going on in our culture. Always is, but particularly over the next few weeks. I want to thank you for your support. This, this program is completely funded by listeners who believe in what we're doing. I thank you for your notes, certainly your financial support, your prayer. I read every note that we get. We're getting more of them all the time. But this one says, Gary. I've been listening to you for about six months off and on. Well, now, don't listen off and on. Listen, no, but thank you. You've been listening to you about six months off and on, more regular here lately. Thank you for your passion and your insight. My monthly budget limits me on what I can give, but I receive a profit share from my employer twice a year. With that, I can give you and a few others that I benefit from. A donation. I don't have a clue on what it costs to hear you on the radio, but I hope this will help. It does. Every bit, doesn't matter how much or how little, just do what you believe God leads you to do and what you're able to do. I believe God has called me to do this, and God will speak to hearts in appropriate ways. I know that's simple and It even sounds a little old-fashioned, doesn't it, in today's world? But that's what I believe, and that's how we live and continue to do what the Lord has led us to do. So you just do whatever you can do and whatever you feel led to do, but thank you in advance for being sensitive to God because I believe he will speak to hearts. There's no question in my mind about it because I can't do this alone. God knows how inept I am. I need others to stand with me, and I want to thank all of you who do, and I want to thank those of you who are about to. You're thinking about it. You're going to pray about it. You're going to join us. Our address is Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Former Vice President Al Gore, on Tuesday of this week, he started, then again yesterday, did the same thing. He's giving this speech, and he's talking about, he's just, you talk about passion. This guy is passionate, I guess, or he appears to be. He's a good actor if he isn't passionate about it. He's serious, at least, about climate change. And he's compar- he does this speech, and he did the same thing at Vanderbilt University and then at a different place. Uh, and he's comparing our current, and he's using the term now, climate crisis. He was the guy that kind of coined the global warming, I think, and then global, and then climate change because everything got really cold, and he was standing in a snowstorm trying to sell climate global warming, and that wasn't playing very well. So they went to, to climate change. Now they've changed their the term to climate crisis. There's a lot on this, and I'll be talking about it more as over the next few days, I'm sure, as it's in the news. But anyway, Tuesday and again yesterday, or uh, yeah, yesterday. Al Gore gave this speech, and he's comparing the seriousness of climate change to the battles fought in World War II and the September 11th. He said, and he was yelling when he said it, he said, This is Pearl Harbor. This is Midway. This is the Battle of the Bulge. This is 9-11. We have to rise to this challenge. We have to change. He called climate change, quote, The life and death struggle of people alive today. He said it's like Pearl Harbor, it's like World War II battles of Dunkirk and Midway. Wow. He's making hundreds of millions of dollars. A new book coming out. I don't know what he believes, but there's a there's a vast number of scientists who say this is not true. <laughs> That isn't what's happening in our climate today. Has God called us to stewardship of his creation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Has God called us to foolishness and craziness? And Charlton's like Al Gore? No, not at all. Not at all. A lot of people are still wondering why Chick-fil-A did what they did. I mean, they just took a left turn, man. I mean, it caught me off guard, caught everybody off guard. I've quoted Huckabee and several others. It just, I mean, I was stunned. I couldn't believe it when I read that they were, you know, kind of dishing the the biblical Christian community when the $6 billion company was built around evangelicalism and the beliefs of Dan Cathy's father, who founded the organization the, or the, the, the chain of restaurants. Dr. Charles McVetty, He's the president of the Institute for Canadian Values. He said, I think I know why they did what they did. He told the press this morning. He said, I've been thinking about it. He said, I was devastated. He says, one clue. He said, I think this played a good part in their decision. He said, one clue to Chick-fil-A's new direction. He said, they hired Navigator. He said, it's the most powerful international lobbying firm in Canada. And it's a part of their expansion Chick-fil-A's expansion into Canada. They have been targeting Canada, getting ready to go there and they hired this Navigator. It's a, as I said, the most powerful international lobbying firm in the country. Navigator has an office in Toronto. They are now guiding Chick-fil-A and Navigator is the number one homosexual lobbying firm in Canada. This man is a Christian Dr. Charles McBetty, I think he's right. I didn't know that before, but I just learned that today, this morning, in fact. He just said it, but I think he's right. During Wednesday night's Democratic presidential debate, no, you probably didn't remember that they had one. Most people didn't, honestly. And I wouldn't even bring it up, except something was said there that I think needs to be addressed for all of us who really seek the Lord and want to see godly virtue and values and principles in our culture, and particularly religious freedom. But during Wednesday night's Democratic presidential debate, MSNBC's Rachel Maydow, she says, she asked the candidates who would intervene as president of all these people, long line of people, two dozen or whatever they are. She asked, she said, as president, if abortion access disappears in some states, she was referring to the states that are making new laws and so on. She said, as president, would you intervene? Well, Elizabeth Warren immediately responded, raised her hand, said, yeah, let me speak. And and she spoke for her party. She said, I'm speaking for Democrats. Her response really tugged and pulled and stabbed at my pastor's heart. Given their position on the sanctity of life, I just had to wonder, how can six million self-identified evangelicals have voted for Hillary Clinton, who believes the same thing? I mean, there's no difference between these people in regards to the, to the sanctity of life. How could how could self-identified evangelicals, seven million of them, of us, vote for a Barack Obama? This is not political. Those of you who are thinking, boy, there he go," no, I'm not. This isn't political. This is spiritual. It's about God's word. When Rachel Maydow asked if any of the candidates as president would intervene in state government should they continue to pass restrictive abortion laws, Warren said, I'm speaking for the party. Well, I don't speak for a party or the evangelical movement. Although I served on the board of the National Association of Evangelicals once, 50 million member association, but I'm just speaking for myself as a concerned brother, as a fellow pilgrim. The religious left has adopted the secular progressive left's view on the value of life. Elizabeth said abortion rights are human rights. Are they? If they are, what about the other human involved? What about the baby that gets ripped out of its mother's womb and now taken apart, disassembled, and sold? that's what, where we are in America today, with the left. She went on to say abortion rights are also economic rights. Understand this, when someone makes, she said this, I'm quoting Elizabeth Warren, understand this, when someone makes abortion illegal in America, rich women will still get abortions. It's just going to fall hard on poor women. It's going to fall hard on girls, women, who don't even know that they're pregnant because they've been molested by an uncle. I want to I want, to be in, I want to be in America where everybody has a chance. Quoting Elizabeth Warren, she continues, And I know it can be a hard decision for people, but here's the thing. When it comes down to that decision, a woman should be able to call on her mother, she should be able to call on her partner, she should be able to call on her priest or her rabbi, but the one entity that should not be in the middle of that decision is the government. And I can tell you as a fact, that is probably the only item in the vast universe, that they don't want the government involved in. These people want the government involved in everything. Maydell pressed Warren a little bit. She asked, she said, if she believes, she said, well, do you think there's room in the Democratic Party for pro-lifers, such as Democratic Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards? Warren didn't say directly no, but she certainly implied that she reiterated what she had just said, what I just quoted. She came back around to it, and she said, we have to preserve abortion and so on. I'd like to speak just for a moment to my evangelical friends on the left, and I know not everyone listening to this program agrees with me. I know that. I hear from you. Many of you do. That's why there's a battle over such things, People that stand up and make, I mean, there's reasons why people are silent today. There's reasons why pastors are silenced today. It doesn't go unnoticed. If you stand up and speak the truth to the darkness, it's challenged. It's resisted. And I'm not going to say any more than that, but believe me, it's challenged and resisted. How are you justifying if you are a religious left and you say, well, I, 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 I hate Trump. I just, oh, I can't, he's not a Christian. Look at all the women, you know, okay. How are you justifying this position with your support of these people? Whether it's Elizabeth Ward, doesn't matter who it is. They all believe the same thing. All of the people running for president have identified themselves as pro-choice. That means they abort babies that are unwanted and they will do whatever they can with their sphere of power to advance that agenda in America for the reasons that Elizabeth Warren just outlined. There's no spiritual or cultural consequences of advancing this disdain and this disregard for life made under the guise of human rights that exist in the Constitution. If we remain silent, if we give tacit, silent approval to this, or if we go out and vote for the very people that are doing this, how in God's name do we get to where we put our head on the pillow and say, Lord, I love you. No, you don't love him if you're voting this kind of thing. This is murder. Moses came down from the hill carrying tablets, and we all agree that's literal. He actually did that, if we believe the Bible. On those tablets that God inscribed himself, he said thou shalt not murder or kill. Are those babies somehow do they not exist? Reverend Jim Wallace is the undeniable leader of the so-called Christian left or the progressive Christian movement as he likes to call himself. They sometimes are referred to the social justice movement as well. He published this, I'm quoting, it was in the Boston Globe. He published it there but they carried the story. Religion is a constant part of Elizabeth Warren's life. Warren is well known for her acrid take on Wall Street money power on the Trump presidency and all the forces in American life that, in her view, deny equal opportunity to all. Much less well-known is Warren's relationship with God. A year or two after her election to the Senate, Reverend Jim Wallace, president and chief executive of Sojourners, a liberal magazine and Christian social justice movement based in Washington, invited her to address a leadership summit and preach a sermon. Matthew 25 was the text. This is the Boston Globe. And she and Wallace, they're quoting Wallace. And she really preached, said Wallace, for whom the passage is also personally meaningful. I've heard a lot of sermons on Matthew 25. I've preached a lot of sermons on it, said Reverend Wallace, and it was good. She knew the text. She, she knew the text. She knew what it meant. She interpreted it very well, making it relevant to the current moment, but not political. It was very much a Christian talking to other Christians, said Wallace. And therein is the problem. They name the name of the Lord as they go out to destroy the unwanted babies in this culture. How do you put that together? How do you reconcile that as a biblical Christian? No, I'm honest. I'm asking you, because I don't know the answer to that. How do you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I love Jesus, Lord, I love you, lead my life, forgive my sins, bless me, whatever, and then you turn around and you use the sacred right to vote, to vote in people who, by their own admission, one of their main objectives is to advance abortion and run over anybody that tries... To do otherwise. How does Elizabeth Warren and Reverend Wallace and all of these other Christian left, Christians so-called, how do they explain Jeremiah 1.5? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Is Jeremiah the only one that God has known in the womb before he formed him? Are the 60 million unwanted babies that have been aborted by legalized, progressive, sanctioned abortion industry, supported by Warren and Wallace and all the rest of them? Are they unknown to God? Does God not know about those? Did he only know Jeremiah in the womb? You know better than that. Was David the only one who was fearfully and wonderfully made? Psalm 139, 13, 14, 15, and 16. It talks about that. Many of us, most of us probably are familiar with that. The psalmist wrote, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows very well. Yes, it does. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me. But as yet, there were none of them. Before my days on earth, you knew me. God, you formed me. You made me. Is Is he the only one?